Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Unbashful. I, of course, am your host, Nicholas Doucette. I want to thank you for stopping by, and this will be an audio-only episode this week. Um, due to some personal life stuff, I'm currently moving houses, and uh, I'm in the middle of trying to figure out what my new setup is going to look like. So until then, uh, the episodes are going to be audio-only, but it should be only for about a week or two, so... Thought I'd still jump on here. There's a lot to talk about. I haven't done an episode in a couple of weeks, so here we are. And uh, I have a list here of things to talk about. I'm trying to think about what we should address first. Let's talk about John Wick. John Wick just came out. Um, it's the fourth installment in the franchise. And uh, I was excited for it, but also a little bit you know, concerned. I, I was worried that this franchise was kind of steering in the direction of let's say something like Fast and the Furious when the priority of just you know franchise and 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 just monetary gain is the is the priority. Now I'm not saying that, you know, obviously Fast and the Furious has its loyal fans and many people would probably argue with me and say that I'm completely wrong. That's just my opinion. I find that when you have a franchise that's 10, you know, 8, 9, 10 films deep, I think it's 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 hard to make a compelling story, at least to somebody like me, and convince somebody like me as an audience member that you're not doing it out of sheer passion, you're doing it for, you know, to make a quota, or to, you know, um, you know whatever, right, but I digress. Um, and I know someone could probably argue and say, well, you're a fan of the MCU. There's like 30 movies deep in that. And I think the MCU is an exception to that because while technically you could say it's one gigantic franchise, it's different characters and they have a room to breathe in their own different films that are telling different stories. Sure, some of them are feeding you know, deeper towards that ultimate ensemble that we always lead up to with the Avengers, but few and far, or during that in the, in those, in the interim, there's different stories being told. So it allows for filmmakers and writers opportunities to, you know, shed some light on, on their creative, you know, on, on whatever story they want to tell. But besides the point, let's get back to John Wick. So <clears throat> that was my only concern. I was afraid that this franchise is just going to start doing like four John Wick, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, but I was wrong. This film was incredible. I had such a good time. Uh, so far this year, there hasn't been any movie that's come out that has blown me away. There have been some good ones. There's, I liked Quantumania. I, I know Quantumania has, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's people that, you know, don't like it and everyone's entitled to their opinion. Of course, I liked it. I did not like 65. That was the last film I saw in theaters. Didn't like it at all. Just boring is <laughs> really just the one word that comes to my mind. Um, I didn't like M. Night's film, uh, Knock at the Cabin, which sucks because I was I was pretty excited for that, all things considered. Um, what else? See, I can't even remember. Most of the films that have come out in this first quarter. And I think that just right there goes to show that there hasn't been anything, you know, wow-inducing or, 
you know, or jaw dropping, but I'm optimistic. The, the rest of the year has a ton of promise. Obviously we have Oppenheimer. We have, you know, guardians three, we have the flash, we have, um, we have Barbie, you know, we have, I'm, I'm not a big animation guy, but I got to say, I'm kind of excited for the super Mario film that comes out next month. Um, so, I mean, there's, and I'm, I'm probably forgetting killers of the flower moon, you know, so, um, there, 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 there's definitely some, some potential diamonds, uh, coming up in the, in the near future. And I, I'm, I'm forgetting. I'm now just sort of thinking on the spot. I like Creed three, Creed three so far. It's probably my second favorite film of the year. Now I know it's way too early to give like a ranking and whatever, but just in terms of the films I've seen thus far, I'd say John Wick chapter four is my favorite of the year so far. And I'd say in number two is Creed three. I, I, I had a good time watching Creed three. Um, but anyways, let's get to this. Let's get to my thoughts here on John Wick chapter four. I thought the movie was great and there were so many times where I was laughing while watching this, but not, not because of a comedic factor. Like I didn't find this movie funny. I just found it. That was just my, that was just my reaction to the sheer violence and brutality and the ridiculousness of how it was, how, how it was taking place on screen. But, and when I say ridiculous, I mean that as a compliment, I don't mean that in, in like, because at this point, if you're if you're a fan of this franchise, you have to suspend a little a little bit of disbelief. When John Wick fa- falls off a building and on the way he lands on you know three balconies and then finally hits a car and then lands on the ground and gets up and walks away, I think if you're if you're still here at this point, it's because that works for you and you're okay with that. So I'm okay with the ridiculousness and the the, you know, the, the sheer, you know, unexplained things about this franchise and that that's okay. I mean, that's part of the entertainment factor and it happens a lot in this film. And I guess, you know, before I continue, I'll, I guess I'll give a little spoiler warning. Cause I am going to talk spoilers. Cause I mean, what day is it? Uh, it's Sunday. So the film's been out for quite a few days at this point. So if you haven't seen it, you know, you've been warned. Um, but yeah, getting back to my point, uh, John Wick falls, off of buildings in this film, there was one scene that I actually did find funny, and I think most of my audience did as well. It's that scene when John Wick, basically, it's it's like right before the climax. It's like right before the final battle with Donnie Yen, or, or excuse me, with Kane, and he's going up that flight of stairs, and he kills like thirty people up up his way, and then he finally gets to the top, and you think he's gonna, you know, finally walk to his final battle, and then. These other foes come and they knock him down and he falls down like 20 flights of stairs. And we're we're talking like concrete. I mean, you fall stairs in general, it's going to fucking hurt. But we're talking concrete pavement stairs. And he just falls, just rolling and rolling, just all in this one shot sequence. That was fucking hilarious. That was actually funny. That part I laughed at and so did my friends. It was, it was an element of, it was funny, but it was, once again, it was that ridiculous, like, because you know he's going to get up, right? It's not like the film's going to end there. He's obviously going to keep going, and what does he do? He gets to the bottom of the stairs, he gets up, and he keep, and he keeps on fighting, and he goes and kicks more ass. So, that that's things like that I loved. And let's just talk about the action set pieces. Incredible. Um, 
I've heard a lot of people talk about this. This is one of my favorite moments in the film where we get that overhead shot. It's it's all one sequence. It starts off on ground level. You know, your, your typical action sequence. We see, uh, you know, John Wick kicking ass and a sort of wide shot. And then it transitions to an overhead shot showing very much like a video game, like 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 a like an old-fashioned RPG. We see an overhead shot of the house and John Wick is going room to room just shooting people with his incendiary, incendiary, whatever the, whatever the, the word is, I, I'm losing it right now, but um, the, the, the dragon shots, whatever you want to call them, uh, from a shotgun, just blowing people up room to room, shooting people through walls, like I loved it, it was, it was awesome, and this is, let's talk about the runtime too, this film is just short of three hours, um, I believe it's two hours and 47 minutes long. Um, that also was 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 quite an interesting thing to find out before the film came up because you know these kind of action films they're usually they don't they don't usually like to stay very long. Um, usually these kind of films are only they, they kind of hover around you know maybe two hours and you know 20 minutes max. I don't think I've ever seen a, an action film this long in my life. And so that was interesting to uh, to to hear, and I think the runtime was perfect. I, it was literally perfect. There was not a point in the film where I was falling asleep, getting bored, you know, checking my phone. I mean, I don't ever check my phone in the movies, anyways. I shut that shit completely off. But there wasn't a moment where I wanted to do that. It was perfect. Like there, it is nonstop. There is always something happening, and I've heard this comparison a lot. This film feels very much like a video game. And I got to say, I'm not trying to regurgitate other people's thoughts and opinions, but I thought that same thing when I was in the theater. I was like, it feels like John Wick is going from quest to quest or checkpoint, whatever you want to call it. And then we get like maybe five minutes in between. You know, we have some conversation, when you, some, some dialogue with maybe Winston or the concierge of the other continental... Um, you know, or, you know, whatever, right? But then he moves on to that next checkpoint. He moves on, and then that's when we get another fight sequence. That's when we get another action set piece. And <laughs> that's that's what it felt like. Um, I think the story, too, the story was very good. The side characters were great, which has a lot to do with the story. Uh, Donnie Yen's character, Kane. I like the element that he's the adversary to John Wick in this film, but it's not by choice. It's out of sheer like obligation. Like I have to do this because I guess when he left the high table and in, the, in um, yeah, sorry, the high table when he left the high table, similar to John Wick, I guess he probably made some kind of deal. Like in John Wick Two, we find out that um, when he made his deal to leave, I guess he he gave a blood marker to Santino and then Santino said like, okay, I can use this upon request whenever I want. It might not be today. It might not be 20. It could be 20 years from now. I guess something similar happened with Kane, um, where he was allowed to go in retirement, but if he was given a name to, to hunt down and kill, it was his obligation and it was his duty to do that. No matter how he, no matter how he feels. And so that request came and of course, it was John Wick, and you find out that him and John Wick were friends. They were close, so it creates that nice. It, it creates a good, compelling story. It's not just like uh, protagonist antagonist, right? You have 
you on paper you have an antagonist, but it's an antagonist that's conflicted because he doesn't really want to kill John Wick. He's only doing it because he has to, right? And vice versa. I'm sure John Wick doesn't want to kill Kane, but he's doing it to defend himself because he has to. So that part was interesting. I really like that. And I think this is probably the, the best story out of the John Wick films since the first one. Um, and yeah, and, and I really liked it. I really did. It wasn't like, of course, obviously the biggest draw to this franchise is the fight choreography, is the action, is just John Wick and just a pistol and, and usually maybe a knife. It's just going around fucking people up. That's obviously the draw. That always will be the draw. And I loved it. All the moments of that were insane. And I got to say, actually, like, out of all the action, I know I'm kind of all over the place. I mean, whatever, it's a fucking podcast. This is what you're here for. Um, Out of all the action scenes that I've seen across these other three films, I think this is probably the most entertaining out of all of them. It was awesome. It was great. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much most of my thoughts, obviously Keanu is great at this point, you know, he's just embodied this character, this is probably the the fewest lines of dialogue he's had, and every time he speaks, I also kind of laughed in this film, and not, not really because it's, 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 it's not like funny, it's just like, it, it's just Keanu, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's him as this character, it's just like, you don't want anybody else but him delivering these lines. Like something as simple as, you know, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character is like giving him a suit and, and, you know, telling him, you know, the fight is coming. And John Wick's like, you know, I'm going to need a gun. Like <laughs> it's just stuff, stuff like that. Like I couldn't picture any other actor delivering that line with that, like, you know, it's 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 John Wick's character, or excuse me, it's it's Keanu Reeves' character, and yeah. Anyways, but overall, I I I I love this film. I had such a good time. The last film, Parabellum number three, you know, I enjoyed it. I it was worth a theater experience, but there wasn't anything memorable about it. I don't think the the, the side characters introduced were nearly as interesting as the ones in this film. Um, even the guy uh, in this film, um, I don't even think we learn his name. I think his name is, I think he calls himself Mr. Nobody. Uh, the guy who goes around with his dog and his um, and his, and his backpack and, and his little pistol on his hip uh, and his revolving rifle. That guy was cool too. You know, I feel like we didn't have those kind of characters, those kind of interesting characters um, in in the third film. The second film I liked, you know, John goes through the catacombs and obviously he has to honor the marker that's put upon his head. Um, But yeah, so I'm all over the place. I didn't even talk about the villain of this film. You know, he was cool. Uh, Like I I refer to Donnie and... And Kane as the antagonist, but really the 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 real antagonist, the guy that's sort of puppeteering this whole, you know, everything against John Wick in this film is Bill Skarsgård's character. And you know, he was he was cool, he was fine. Um, he didn't blow me away. He didn't even he didn't even like fight John Wick. I guess that not that wasn't necessarily his purpose. It's almost like the Joker to the Batman. The Joker's not a physically imposing threat he just 
maneuvers and, and manipulates things going on that that affect Batman. I guess the same can, can sort of be said here. Uh, this character doesn't threaten John Wick from a, you know, man-to-man perspective, but he orchestrates a lot of the chaos that's, that's that's coming after him, that's coming towards him. So, you know, he was interesting, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like the highlight for me. Um, yeah, so overall, I would say this is the second best film on the franchise. I don't ever think, a f- I don't, I don't think any of these films for me personally are going to beat the first one. There's some, there's a, there's a magic about the first one. It's simple. It's just about a man avenging his dog because who the fuck wouldn't do that? If somebody walks into my house and they, tr- and they kill my dog, they even touch my dog. Oh, it's on. It's on. And I, it's, it's, it's such a simple story. It's not convoluted, but it's a story that anybody can get behind because who the fuck can't, who the fuck's not going to get mad at someone hurting an animal? You know what I mean? That That's like a, unless you're a psycho, unless you're a, you know, sicko, we, we everybody can rally around that message because you don't like, you just, you just don't do that. <laughs> right. So there, there's a simplicity to that first film and it's the first time we're obviously seeing the character and we're seeing him in retirement and then he's being forced back into this world. I just don't think any of these films for me are going to beat it. Of course, it's possible and it's all subjective. I mean, maybe the second film is your favorite. Who knows? Um, for me, I think the first film is always going to be my favorite. But I mean, the fourth one is not far behind. And it, it, it's uh, it's probably it's probably my second favorite. I'd say that then I'd say the second film is my third favorite, and then the third one, Parabellum, is my least favorite. I like Parabellum, you know. I I don't hate it. Uh, sure, it's last on my on my list, so to speak. Um, but I but I don't dislike it. I just don't think it's it it, it just it doesn't. I don't feel like I needed to watch that to learn more about the character, to learn more about the world of the Continental and the High Table. Just my opinion. Um, yeah, but... Oh my god, I'm, I'm totally missing a few things that I haven't even addressed. Let's talk about the ending of the film. I don't think John Wick is dead. I know we saw the grave, I know we saw everything like that. Uh, but... this There will be a fifth film. Mark my words. And we already know... That in the ballerina film, that's that's sort of a spinoff of this world starring uh, Anna de Armas, that film will be coming out apparently this year, and John Wick will be in the movie. I, I, it's probably going to be for a limited amount of time. Uh, and, and I know, I know a lot of you right now are screaming that it takes place between the third and fourth film. I get that. I understand that. But if the character was truly dead... I understand this next film takes place before the events of this film, but I don't think as a producer, as as a studio, I think if you truly want to kill the character, you will leave it there. Because at that point, if you're going to show him in another film, like six, seven months later, you're just teasing the audience, or at the very least, you're testing the waters maybe to see if like, oh, should we make, should we make a fifth one? They will make a fifth one. Um, apparently the intention was to make the fourth and the fifth and shoot them uh, back to back. 
but I guess they wanted to take time to flesh out the script and the story, which is, I mean, that's a good thing. That's that's what you want. Of course, selfishly as an audience, you want to see them as, as quick as possible, but then you don't want to fall into that Fast and Furious trap. I know we keep talking shit about Fast and Furious. I'm not trying to. Uh, like I said, you know, I, I, I don't want to sound pretentious. I like the big, you know, spectacle movies, obviously. I, I love the Marvel movies, so... But I just think the quality of some of those Fast and Furious films have definitely dropped. <laughs> now, I'm not going in expecting Shakespeare, of course. No, um, I know what those movies are. But still, I think you could still make a compelling story, make a quality film. And I just think those films at this point have just become laughable. Just in my opinion. Um, where was I going? Yeah, so I, I don't think John Wick is dead. They'll figure out some way to explain his, you know... <laughs> reincarnation maybe i don't think they'll go that far i like i understand that there's a lot of you have to suspend a lot of disbelief i don't think they'll dip that far into the fiction or into the you know uh impossible so to speak i don't think he's gonna rise from the dead and be zombie john wick i think he'll be alive maybe he faked his death like the guy from gta 5 who the fuck knows uh They'll, they'll figure out some way, just might take time, but they will, they'll, the writers will sit down and they'll bounce ideas back and forth and eventually they'll land on something. So yeah, that's uh, okay. So that's, I think I've addressed everything. There was no notes for this. I just knew I wanted to talk about it. So if my thoughts have been jumbled all over the place, it is what it is. I'm sure I'm still probably going to forget something, but I mean, I talked about the ending. I talked about John Wick himself, obviously, I talked about the characters, I talked about, you know, everything, so, yeah, okay, let's, excuse me, let's move on to the next topic, we're going to talk Creed 3, I haven't talked about that film yet, uh, I'm going to give you, once again, my sort of little mini review, let me know what you guys think about John Wick Chapter 4, where does it rank compared to the other three, and do you think he's dead, do you think he's dead, that's the ultimate question, let me know. Alright, so Creed 3. Uh, this was Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut. And I've talked about in other episodes how that was kind of an interesting choice to give an actor, a great actor, but who's never directed a film, uh, which is two completely different jobs. Not only that, he's going to be directing his first film, but he's also going to be acting in it, which, I mean, I can't speak from first-hand experience, but I can, I can assume that's also a, another... Uh, beast to beast to tangle with, and I thought that was an interesting choice to make, considering he's never directed a film before. Uh, I think I think that's a logical concern to have, but I will say that he did a he did a really good job for his first feature film, a studio film with hundreds of million dollars on the line. Uh, you know, he he did a good job. In fact, I'd say he did a great job, and there was a lot of moments in the film where I thought, like, damn, that was really good directing. Uh, once again, I'm going to be talking spoilers. The film's been out for a month at this point, so if you haven't seen it, it's probably because you don't want to, or you don't care. So, yeah. Um, the When I think of Michael B. Jordan directing, and if I could point to one scene in particular that he really showed off his directing skills, was in that final fight between him and Damien, which I think, as a, as as a director making a boxing film, that's where you, I think that's where you can really kind of show your, your skill. And that scene I think was incredible. 
and I, I talked to a couple friends. They they thought the sort of transition between like uh, almost like dimensions when we see you know both fighters kind of block out the audience uh, around them, and it's just them two fighting in the ring, making it more intimate, more personal between you. Because it is personal, obviously. They've been they're they're best friends, and and you know we'll talk about that more in depth in a couple of minutes. But I actually like that, and I liked how for a moment. You know, Damien's got uh, Adonis against the ropes, but instead of the ropes, it's 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 a uh, it's a jail cell. You know, I, I like that. I think that was a really smart directing move. And even some of the fight sequences, like when when Damien gets that gut punch right to Adonis's stomach, you see the beads of sweat coming off his back. That was really cool. Um, I'm not a, I'm not an anime guy, but I've heard a lot of people say that that specific shot that I just talked about draws a lot of parallels to anime because apparently Michael B. Jordan is a big anime fan. I hear some people say it's pronounced anime. I, I don't know. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, yeah. So I think, you know what? Bravo to him. He did a great job directing and, and I would definitely watch his next film. Maybe his next film will be Creed 4. Who knows? Maybe he'll, he'll venture out and do something else, but yeah, um, and then of course his performance, I mean, you know what to expect at this point, uh, Michael B. Jordan is a great actor, and he once again does not does a great job as Adonis Creed, uh, let's talk about the story, I think the story is very interesting, once again, you know, you're, you're, you're making a film, you're making a boxing film, this is, this is a, you know, sub-genre of films that have been done so many times, so it is hard to reinvent the wheel, so to speak, um, and I, look, I don't think this film reinvents the wheel. I, I don't, it, it, there are still moments in this film that are kind of just paint by numbers boxing film. Of course, you have to have a training montage. You have to have, you know, the moment where our protagonist could, you know, could tap out or he could lose to the count, but then he gets up. Like we get that, you know, it's almost a given. You almost have to have that at that point in a boxing film. It's almost not a boxing film if you don't have those core tropes. Um, but the story of this, I really liked, and I was wrong heading into this film. I speculated that the story was that, you know, Adonis and, uh, Damien were best friends in juvenile detention. And then Adonis got out before Damien and the Damien got out obviously 18 years later. That's not what happened. What happened was that they did live in a group home together, but outside of that, what, what what truly was the inciting incident of this relationship ending was that uh, Damien and Adonis were outside of a convenience store when obviously they were young, and Adonis came across a man that ran the group home that him and Damien stayed at, and apparently this man abused Adonis and Damien several times. So, of course, there's that trauma, and immediately Adonis lashed out at this guy, this uh, this this full-grown adult, and started punching him and beating him. But then afterwards, during this, this guy's friends jumped in on Adonis. And mind you, Adonis is just a kid, and he's got all these grown men, you know, dogpiling him and, you know, beating him up. And then his friend Damien came to the rescue pointing his gun at them, but then right in time, cue, the police show up. And the police show up, seeing this guy holding a gun, of course, you know, that's that's it, <laughs> right? But then what happened from there was that instead of Adonis staying, you know, 
obviously talking to the police and probably even going to jail with Damien, he ran. He ran. So he, he pretty much dodged time in jail. Now, of course, he wasn't going to go to jail as long as Damien. Damien was the one who had the gun. But still, you know, I mean, put yourself in his shoes. You, you see your best friend run out on you and leave you out to dry. That's going to leave you bitter. That's going to leave you mad. I think anybody can relate to that. Take it a step further when you're serving 18 years in jail. And then this friend who abandoned you in this in this chaotic moment goes on to have this successful boxing career and you yourself was were a successful up and coming you know boxing prodigy and you could have been in his same shoes or you could have been you know you 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 could have been exceeding him in success like it, it obviously could 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 lead to some envy could lead to some some bitterness and that that's the story of this film and and to me that that was really cool because we can i think I think audiences can can get behind that. And it obviously deals a lot with time. Like when, when we see Damien, we see Jonathan Majors, he gets out of jail and immediately, you know, he's telling Adonis, like, I'm picking up right where I left off. Like, this is it. The, the, the time is now. You know, I, I don't have time to, you know, to 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 dilly dally and like like this is it. Right. And I like that because at this point, I mean, he gets out 18 years later. Clearly, Damien's like in his 30s. And, you know, boxing is a young man's game. And, I mean, sure, obviously, you can be successful in box in your late 30s. We've obviously seen it before. I'm, By the way, I'm not some big boxing fan. So, you know, I'm just from from a from a casual fan's knowledge. That, that That's just what I know. But, I mean, I've played sports myself. When it comes to athletics, there there is... <laughs> There, there is a finite amount of time you have because obviously you, you, you get old, right? So I like that emphasis and that sort of angst from Jonathan Major's character. Like he, he needs to get it now. He needs to get, he needs to have this opportunity now. Now, sure, he goes about it the wrong way. He takes advantage of Adonis. You find out afterwards that it didn't even, like retrospectively, you find out that once he, once he gets that title shot and he gets it, you find out that him reaching out to Adonis was purely for his own gain, right? Which is, I mean, which is kind of like sociopathic behavior. It didn't even, at that point, you start to question, like, did he even really want to re-enter Adonis's life? Or was it just surely out of, like, revenge and vitriol and just personal benefit, obviously using Adonis's name to, you know, get him into the boxing scene? <clears throat> um, yeah, so the story for me, I loved it. Probably my favorite part of this film. My second favorite thing that I liked, or the, the second thing I liked rather, was Jonathan Majors as Damien. I think Jonathan Majors, now look, as I'm talking about this, there is a lot, There, there's a whole bunch of shit going on with him. Apparently, uh, he got arrested, well, not apparently, he did. He got arrested for allegedly uh, uh, beating his wife. And look, if that's true, I... I cannot support this guy anymore because you can't hit women. You you simply cannot. Like I, I think we all know that that that's a no no. <laughs> you just you just don't do that. It doesn't matter under what circumstance. You do not do that. So if that's true, I I will not support him. And I get to and and, and I got to admit, prior to hearing this news, and of course you know innocent until proven guilty. 
But I am a fan of his. I am a fan of his work as an actor. But if these rumors and these allegations of him hitting his girlfriend, and apparently the the, the sort of dispute that happened was that they were in a cab in New York, uh, and his girlfriend like you know was peeping Jonathan Majors' phone and saw a girl was texting him, and she confronted him, and then uh, I guess from there things escalated on, and, and so on and so forth. Obviously, there there are details that the public does not know because you know we weren't there. But that is that is the that's that's what's going around. So we'll see, time will tell, but, you know, just looking at the film, looking at the art, he was one of my favorite parts of the film, his performance. Once again, you you can see he's got this intensity and he's got this anger behind his eyes. Like the, the scene that stands out for me the most in, in terms of seeing this relationship and this chemistry between these two characters was that first interaction when we see Damien coming out of jail. Him and Adonis sit down, they get lunch. He's talking about his plan. And you could see as he's talking about this, you know, I always I always tell people, you know, how you could tell someone is a good actor, you look in their eyes. The eyes says it all. And you could see behind Damien's eyes, you, you see all these elements, you see all these emotions, you see the nuances, you can tell that he is anxious, he is... Like anxious to get started, to 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 get going, to make up for all the time that he's lost, right? Um, and and of course you can also see the anger he has for Adonis. But in that moment, he's trying to be friendly with him. He's trying to you know re- possibly rekindle his relationship with him. Um, that scene stood out to me. I really really like that. Uh, but yeah, so we'll yeah we'll we'll see what happens with Jonathan Majors, but. Um, if that is true, then yeah, uh, not good, <laughs> not good at all. But, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of what else, what else to talk about here on my, oh yeah, the soundtrack. I loved the soundtrack right from the jump. As soon as the film fades in, there's a song playing, uh, and I, and I, I downloaded it from my phone. What's it called? Uh, the watcher, uh, by Dr. Dre. It's an old song from 2001. Um, everywhere that I go, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and the thing about copyright on YouTube is I, I bet you, if you sing a song and you sing it well enough, like a, like a song that obviously already exists, you could probably get copyright. And I'm not, I am not saying that I could rap or I cannot, <laughs> I'm just saying like, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. Anyway, so let's see. What else there is? Yeah, I think I pretty much addressed all the positives. Yeah, the story, Michael B. Jordan, the soundtrack, uh, Jonathan Majors. Um, you know, he's on a roll. Just looking objectively at him, obviously, you know, uh, we've, we we talked about everything else. But he he is on the come up. And it would be a damn shame to see him throw his career away doing stupid shit like that. Because he, he, he he's a great actor. I, I'll just say it. He's a good actor, but I'm not saying that, and I'm not uh, trying to support this behavior, if it's true. I'm just saying, looking at the art, he's a good actor. It's like Ezra Miller, right? The shit that Ezra Miller has done is fucked up. Let's just call it what it is. And from all accounts, I don't know him, but he doesn't sound like a good person. But he is a good actor. You watch Perks of Being a Wallflower. 
and uh, fuck, what's that other film? Um, we need to talk about Kevin. You know, like he's a good performer, so I can look at Jonathan Majors and say like he's had a really good past couple of years. The Last Black Man on San Francisco, The Heart of They Fall. Uh, obviously, I, I liked him in Quantumania. I think he's probably my favorite thing in Quantumania. Um, Loki, right? Like he's a really good performer, and you know, let let's hope that these allegations aren't true and there's something that we don't know. But if they are, be a damn shame. But anyways, let's move on to, I guess, the negatives. I only have a few. Overall, I like the film. But, you know, the first negative, and I kind of talked about it before, was that as a boxing movie, it's good, but it doesn't break new ground. But then again, you know, with the amount of boxing movies that have come out over the years, you know, I'm not sure how much ground is left to be broken. So, you know, maybe, I don't know if I'd call that a negative. Maybe call that kind of just mixed, I guess. You know, when Sean Chandler does his reviews, I like how he breaks it down. He has the positive, he has, yeah, he has the positives, he has uh, mixed, and then he has, and then he has the negatives. I think he calls like his positives, like what I liked or what worked or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. Next, overall, uh you know, there's not there's not a particular glaring flaw that stood out to me throughout this film. You know, but, but I was never, like, blown away. I was never taken aback. Uh, yeah. Just trying to think if there's anything else that I missed. Uh, I guess, you know, where does it rank amongst the other Creed films? Uh, I would still say the first is my favorite. And I would say... This is my second favorite, and then that leaves the second film to, uh, to to last. But I like the second film, so yeah. Let me break down my ratings over this. I guess I forgot to do this to John Wick. Maybe I'll do that in a second. So when I do a rating, instead of just giving one, you know, just giving one rating of the film, like oh, I think this is a a, a nine out of ten. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna break it down into subcategories, and then once I'm done those subcategories, I'll conclude with an overall letter grade. Um, but the subcategories I'm going to give out of 10. So I just think, you know, fun little twists make it make it different. So let's start off with the writing. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. thought the writing was pretty good. Great story. Overall, solid screenplay. Uh, performance is 9 out of 10. Direction, 7.5. Cinematography, 8 out of 10. Really like the way this film was shot. Uh, I think it was shot on IMAX for portions of the film, so... A rewatchability, I'm going to give a 6.5 out of 10. Yeah, there, there there are certain points of this film. Like, I think it's a little long. Uh, I think the first film was was a lot leaner, um, which which I think lends to some rewatchability. Uh, yeah, so I would give it a 6.5 out of 10. Overall, my letter grade is a B. A flat B, not a B minus, but not a B plus. I give it a B. Let me know what you guys think about the film um, and, you know, everything else going on with Jonathan Majors. Obviously, it's not my business, but he is a public figure, just like if I was a public figure and, you know, I got in a car accident, for example, whatever, people will talk about it, right? So it is what it is. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see that situation as it develops. But yeah, where does this Creed film rank amongst the others for you. Is it your favorite? Is it your least favorite? Is it somewhere in the middle? Let me know. 
All right, so funny enough, I realized that I had already sort of given a review for Creed already, but it was on my other episode. But um, the reason why I'm going to keep everything I just talked about in here was because when I talked about it previously, I guess I forgot that I did. That was a non-spoiler review. So I guess you could just call everything I just talked about a spoiler review. So we'll keep it in. It is what it is. But uh, there's still a lot more we need to talk about here today. Um, there's actually quite a lot of exciting news. First and foremost, Tarantino's next film is on the way. It's official from Variety themselves, from all of them. Uh, but the report I'm going to read is coming from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, and the article uh, says, quote, The movie critic is the name of the script that Tarantino wrote and is prepping to direct this fall, according to sources. Logline details are being kept in a suitcase, but sources describe the story as being set in the late seven in the late 1970s Los Angeles with a female lead at its center. Um, and then I tried to sort of dig up, you know, what could this be about? We know that Tarantino has has often liked to use, you know, real people in his stories, but put a twist on the events that actually happened and, and kind of changed it to his own way. Uh, we've seen that with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Because, of course, we, you know, I'm not going to go into detail of the gruesome murder of Sharon Tate, but we know that that was changing once upon a time in Hollywood. Uh, and then even look at, you know, Inglorious Bastards with Hitler uh, and, 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 you know, everything that happened in that film. So that could be happening here. And I was digging up some research and the potential plot details of this film could go as this quote. Uh, it is possible. And I think this also comes from The Hollywood Reporter. It is possible the story focuses on Pauline Kael, one of the most influential movie critics of all time. Kael, who died in 2001, was not just a critic, but also an, an essayist and novelist. She was known for her pugnacious fights with editors as well as filmmakers. In the late 1970s, Kael had a very brief tenure working as a consultant for Paramount, a position she accepted at the behest of actor Warren Beatty. The timing of that Paramount job seems to coincide with the setting of the script, and the filmmaker is known to have a deep respect for Kale, making the odds of her being the subject of the film more likely. This is true. Um, I've seen a lot of interviews, and I've heard a lot of people talk about Tarantino's uh, his his um, his uh, his admiration for for this movie critic. Apparently, he's he's mentioned her quite a bit, and he's talked about. Uh, how he's very fond of her work, and, and he, it's it's one of his personal favorite movie critics. And I just think this idea of making a movie about a critic is one, in one sense, it's, it's very meta, right? Because movie critics are, they obviously, they they cover movies. <laughs> obviously, they're, they do the uh, the junkets. They, they're, they're a big part of the promotional process of a film. I mean, you kind of need critics uh, to you know, to, to, to push the word out. It's, it, it can obviously work in your benefit or work in your detriment. If you make a bad movie, well, then of course the critics are going to rag on the film uh, as they should. That's their job. But if the film is great and it shines, you can depend on the critics to funnel that discussion throughout the zeitgeist and throughout pop culture. And then it's all, it's like free marketing. So, you know, to my knowledge, I'm sure there has been a film about, about a movie critic, but I can't think of one, and I think it's such a unique perspective to take. You know, there's so many movies about Hollywood, but it's always about, like, you know, actors, filmmakers, people in the industry. We've I don't think we've seen a film about Hollywood, but not but but not about the traditional people that would normally have stories told about them in Hollywood. We're seeing a story told about 
you know, a critic, somebody who observes Hollywood for a, li- for a living, gives their their analysis and their perspective on it. Uh, and then it's, you know, from the description, it seems like this critic was not afraid to, you know, state her opinion as a critic should be. But, you know, I feel like the problem with today is that there's a lot of pundits, there's a lot of critics on YouTube that I watch them and I could tell that they're not being honest about how they feel. It often seems like a lot of movie critics these days are too afraid to offend people and instead of giving their full, you know, unabashed opinion, unbashful opinion, look, I just name dropped my show, uh, they're giving sort of half of you know, giving half of their 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 true thoughts and feelings of how they feel just to appease people so they could get, you know, I don't know, more, you know, whatever opportunity, who knows. But it seems like this critic was very much true to her opinion, true to herself. And it seems like she obviously made a name in that regard, but it seemed like she also, you know, rustled some feathers, but it also got her opportunities. Like, look, it got her a job at Paramount. Um, she wasn't afraid to wear her heart on her sleeve. And that's very much my whole kind of mantra of my show on Bashful is just stating how you feel, being true to your word and, uh, and, and, and just, you know, having your, having your opinion. Of course, you know, there's that famous, there's that line that I love in Glass Onion, uh, that, that Daniel Craig says to, uh, Kate Hudson's character, because Kate Hudson's character is this very kind of, you know, all over the place, ditzy person, and, and she always says, oh, I just call it like I see it, uh, which is fine, uh, but then Daniel Craig says to Kate Hudson, he, he's, uh, he, uh, he tells her, he's like, what's he say, he's like, um, don't mistake speaking without thought for speaking truth, and I love that, so it's, 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 it's okay to have your opinion, obviously, but it's still got to be based in logic, and you can't just say, shit that doesn't make sense, right, so, but anyway, circling back, um, I, I think this sounds very exciting, I, I've been wondering for a while, you know, when's Tarantino's next film gonna come out, uh, I knew it was gonna be a little bit before, you know, after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it, I'm surprised that this is already gonna be rolling cameras in the fall, because apparently he's, he's also written, and he's gonna direct a few episodes of a TV show, I'm sure a lot of you probably saw that, he was on that podcast with that guy, and he announced it, so it seems like he's got his work cut out for him. And if the script is done and if the film is going to be shooting by the fall, I imagine he's probably already got some actors cast. He's pro- the film is probably already deep in pre-production. So it's 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 happening. And that that's really exciting and apparently the title is called The Movie Critic. Simple, I love it. Uh and for me, I'm a sucker for movies. Okay, if a movie could do two things, you got me hooked. Two things I love. Movies set in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Those three decades I love. You know, Taxi Driver. Um, uh, fuck. Every time I'm trying I'm trying to remember movies, I, I, can, I can never... My mind goes blank. My mind goes dust. But... I love that. I love those. I love those three eras of filmmaking, specifically the '70s. So, two things I love: movies set in the '70s and movies about Hollywood. You check both those boxes, I'm sold. You will have my money. I will. You will. You will have my. You will have my ass in the seat. And Tarantino was going back to that. Yeah, obviously he's he's a he's a he's a he's a cinephile. He loves cinema. You could just see when he talks in interviews, it inspires me to 
not only as an actor, but inspires me to just want to make things, want to make movies specifically right, because his his passion for cinema and Hollywood and the history of this industry is just so infectious. Like, you could just see it bleeding out of him. Um, yeah, so... And I, I, yeah, I, I'm just trying to think about what else I could say about this. I'm going through my notes here. And, you know, Tarantino is one of those directors. I've talked about this with Jordan Peele, who we will be talking about shortly. There's some news in regards to him. He's one of those directors that whatever he makes, I'll be there. So, I mean, really for him, the, the movie didn't have to be about Hollywood. It could be about something else and I'd still watch it because, you know, it's Quentin Tarantino, one of the best directors in Hollywood history. Uh but if it was any other director that I'm maybe not as, you know, uh, familiar with, if they were making an interesting, telling an, an, an interesting story about Hollywood, that would interest me. So, um, oh yeah, the last thing I want to talk about in regards to this topic, do I think this is going to be his last film? Absolutely fucking not. This will not be his last film. I know he said for a very long time, you know, he, he has stuck to his word and he said, 10 movies, that's it. That is it. Now, I know technically it'll be 11, I think, if you... I know there's a whole conversation of is Kill Bill Part 1 and 2, two separate films or one movie. Uh, I think it's two movies. I understand it's... it's, it's from, from a storytelling perspective, it, it could be looked at as one long story. But, I mean, it, it was released in two parts, so I consider it two films. That's just my opinion. Um... Yeah, so I don't think this is going to be his last film. The thing about Hollywood, and from at least from what I've viewed, nobody truly retires. You might see an actor or you might see a filmmaker or a producer, whatever. You might see them maybe take, you know, five, six, seven, ten years off. Yeah, but they, they'll come back. You know what I mean? An idea will come in their head. Or maybe they'll read a book that they'll think, oh, this would be a great, you know, adaptation. This is ripe for for a film or for a movie or, or, or excuse me, for, for a TV show. Like, that, they'll get bitten by that bug again. It's, it's the whole thing with Daniel Day-Lewis. I've talked about that before, too. I know Daniel Day-Lewis, who I think is the greatest actor of all time, I he, he's, he is apparently, you know, currently we'll say he's currently in retirement so to speak we'll, we'll just say that he said that you know after the phantom thread that this would be his last film i don't believe that it might not be now it might not be in 2027 might not be till 2033 who knows but i do think he will come back and it's the same thing with tarantino you know after this film the movie critic maybe we won't see him for a while he, may, he might write some things, he might produce some things, but we might we just might have to wait a little while to see him direct again, but I do think he will come back. There will be some script, idea, there will be some story, he will think of something, and he will not be able to, 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 to kind of turn off that idea in his head. It's just how it is. I mean, look, is it possible he could truly retire and he will never make another film again? Yeah, it's possible. Of course it is. But I mean, I, I, I just, I, don't, I can't see it personally. So, sure, this, this could be his last film for a while, but he'll direct another film. Make no mistake. 
yeah, let me know what you guys think about this idea for a movie called The Movie Critic. I think it's going to be very interesting. I could already see when this film comes out the the conversation that Tarantino is going to have with people, with critics hosting these junkets and these interviews. Like It's going to create for some fun conversation. So, yeah, uh, we got a lot more news. Let's move on to Ben Affleck. Let's move on to the air reviews for his next film. And let's even move on to some discussion, some news that's come out with him talking about his future in the DCU. All right, so April looks like it's going to be a really good month uh, for for films. You know, this month was was solid as well. There was definitely, obviously, we had John Wick, uh, and I just, you know, I talked about twenty minutes ago how there hasn't been a movie so far up until John Wick that is truly like blown me away. John Wick is that first film. Uh, now there could be more. I'm sure there will be more. I'm 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 very confident that Oppenheimer is going to do that for me, but. Anyway, so this month, though, there is quite a lot, and we have Air. Now, for those of you who don't know, Air is all about the story of Nike and its and its early inception, and before they were the name that they were now, because at that point in like the uh, in like the eighties, the sports scene was dominated by Converse. Converse was was the player. Like if if you were an athlete, especially if you were in the NBA, you were signing with Converse. Like like. They were Nike. They were like what Nike is today, but I, I would I would even say Nike is far exceeded that at this point. But so back then Nike was was just kind of on the come up. You know, they they weren't there's that famous story about Magic Johnson turning down Nike. Uh and, and apparently Nike's offer at the time was that, you know, we'll offer you uh X amount of shares. And someone did the math and apparently those shares that he turned down of Nike would equate today to like something something odd billion billions amount of dollars it's some, something crazy i mean obviously he's doing fine i'm sure he probably is a billionaire but still you know um f- funny thing to to, to to sort of look back on but back then you know nike was in a position where they didn't have any marquee names affiliated with them you know like any any marquee athletes and they were going after this up-and-coming you know, prodigy that everybody was talking about, Michael Jordan. And uh, obviously we all, well, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people know the story. He he, he initially didn't even want to take the meeting with Nike, but it was Viola, it, not Viola Davis. It was his mom that persuaded him like, no, you're going to be professional. You're going to be respectful and you're going to give your time and at least hear their pitch. And if it wasn't for Michael Jordan's mom telling him to do that, Jordan might might not have ever signed with Nike. He might have just gone straight to Converse or 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 somebody else. So, yeah. And the reason why I slipped up and I said Viola Davis is because Viola Davis is playing Michael Jordan's mom in this film, which I think is perfect casting. Um, yeah, Viola Davis is one of the greatest actresses of all time. Uh, let's see here. So yeah, that's the whole story, and and our our two, our our three you know leads that were that we follow is Matt Damon, who who plays the executive that pursues Michael Jordan, that essentially gives them the pitch, kind of like the salesman, so to speak, and then Ben Affleck is playing, uh, I think his name is Phil Knight, who is the uh, who at the time was the CEO of Nike. And then, of course, Viola Davis, like I said, is playing uh, Michael Jordan's mom. Um, 
Matt Damon's character, he he is playing a real person. I just can't remember uh, the name of the individual. But yeah, so the reviews came out and the reviews are shining. They're great. Uh, some people are calling it the greatest sports film of all time. And there's been a lot of good ones. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to kind of read a few of these reviews and uh, give sort of my reaction to them. Um, okay, let's start off with Robbie Collin. He comes from Daily Telegraph UK. Quote, Alex, Com- Alex Comvery's script frames a story half as a money ball like cracking of the sports world's uh, cosmic code, half as Jerry Maguire triumph against the corporate odds. Um, actually that wasn't, you know, he gave it a three out of five. Okay. Uh, that was a weird review. Alex Convery script frames a story half as a money ball, like cracking of the sports world's cosmic code, half as Jerry Maguire style triumph against the corporate odds. I'm not really sure how to make of that, of, of, of that review. I don't know if that's half of half as a money ball, like cracking. I mean, money ball is a great film. Um, hmm, interesting. Uh, let's move on to, let's see, uh, the banter and Convery's script is entertaining, but it's truly the actors under Affleck's excellent direction that makes Air feel like something special. It doesn't nail every scene or sentiment, but when the film is good, which is often in parentheses, it's on fire. Like Michael Jordan, uh, sorry, that came from Rob Dean. This comes from David Gonzalez. From, cinema, from the cinematic reel, like Michael Jordan, air defies gravity and expectations in a film rich with hope, affection, inspiration, and a jump man. It's an impeccable and memorable way to I, I can't, I cannot, iconize, oh my god, I can't fucking read today, uh, iconize the greatest sneaker and athlete ever. Um, the film works due to its ensemble cast that came from Tiffany Kelly. That was a pretty short one, uh, coming from Will Mavity. It's a simple, competently told feel good drama that will likely appeal to your dad. And there's nothing wrong with that. Very, very true. Um, I'm trying to think, where's the one that I read? Uh, uh, well, let's keep going. This comes from Fred Topol from United Press International. Uh, makes a story about sports in the shoe business as understandable as possible to viewers who follow neither. That's a good thing to hear. Uh, the film shows how the story of the sneaker led to revolutionary changes in the history of athletic spokespeople. That's a really interesting one because that can be discouraging to an audience member. Like, let's say let's say there's a movie about, I don't know, the NFL or football, which obviously there are. There's like draft day. There's, you know, a couple, couple of other ones. But... Um, you know, let's say you're thinking about watching this film, but you're, but, but you're like, oh, I don't, I've never played football. I don't understand football. So, you know, th- this, this film looks a little too convoluted for me. I'm not going to understand it. Like that, that stops a lot of people from watching, not just, you know, sport films, any film that's about a particular, uh, I don't know, genre or thing, uh, that someone, you know, that doesn't have that relative frame of reference that that could stop them from wanting to watch it. Um, so it's good to hear that it's accessible to people who don't necessarily, you know, follow the NBA and or even the history of the NBA. So that, that that's that's good to hear. Um, this comes from Whit- Richard Whitaker from Austin Chronicle. Affleck remains one of the directors who can disguise a powerful parable as giddy, crowd-pleasing entertainment. That's good to hear. Um, this comes from Nick de Sem- Sem- Semlian from Empire Magazine. 
It's a lot of fun, way more than a film about a large company striving to make even more money should be, but it could have paid a little more attention he to number three on Nike's famous list of 10 corporate principles break the rules. Interesting. <clears throat> uh, this comes from Valerie Complex from Deadline Hollywood Daily. In his fifth feature film, Ben Affleck's talents exceeds expectations. He's grown as an actor and director, but is best when doing both. That's very, very interesting because I talked about how that can be very challenging for somebody to do. You know, I mentioned that with Michael B. Jordan. Um, but the fact that this critic compliments him and, and, and essentially says, you know, he's at his best when he's doing both. That's huge. And I think that's a major compliment to Ben Affleck. And I agree. I think Ben Affleck is a, is an incredible director. Uh, I think he's a really good actor. And I think some of my favorite performances of his are in films that he's directed. And the, the first one I think of is, is, uh, is the town. I I've talked about the town so many times. The town is one of my favorite movies of all time. I've studied that script front to back. Uh, I, I, I love it anytime it's on, like if I'm going about my business throughout my day and my TV's on and, and the town, you know, pops on like two hours of my life are gone. I, 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 I have to watch it. I, I just, I love it that much. And I love his performance in the film. Um, but let's keep going here. So, uh, this comes from Greg Newsen from Slant Magazine. Era is shot through with an infectious energy, but it's more poignant with the way that it rhymes the histories of its actors and the public eye with all that Nike's creatives are struggling to reconcile when they were chasing after Michael Jordan. Very interesting. Um, we'll we'll uh, we'll read a couple more, and then I think that'll probably do it. I there was one uh, there was one review that was just like crazy. Uh, cast. This comes from Peter Dubrudge. Uh, by the way, I apologize for my pronunciation for 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 uh, for some of these individuals' names. I apologize. Uh, casting Davis was the smartest thing Affleck could have done, as the EGOT EGOT. I, I don't know what that stands for. Uh, winner is to acting what Jordan is to sports. Her strength inspires and she can move us to tears while making it look easy. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all know Viola Davis. Uh, I think one of Viola Davis's best performances was in a film, I think directed by Denzel Washington. It was formerly a play and then they, you know, they uh, adapted it to the big screen was Fences. She has that scene where she breaks down and she talks about how, you know, I, I it's, it's the scene where she finds out that Denzel's character has been having an affair and you know she talked about how you know I've been standing in the same place for 20 years with you you didn't think I would have thought of you know going and, and, and sleeping with somebody else I you know of course I did but I didn't you know I stood right by your side I was loyal to you and she's getting emotional and like you know snot snot bubbles are coming out of her nose like it's but it's it's that like authentic performance it's it's the emotion and as meisner calls it famous acting instructor her ability to have fullness of emotion on camera that's not a direct quote but in his book he talks about you know entering a scene being full meaning like having that emotion already in your head um and and and, and feeling it going into it so and you could tell that obviously she had it there incredibly uh but anyways i'm getting off track here um, we'll, we'll read one more review, one more review. Um, okay. We'll, we'll finish with this final one. It's pretty strong. Quick. This comes from Ryan McQuay from awards watch air proves itself to be a thunderous slam dunk and an absolute winner. Perfect. Okay. So on all accounts, um, 
Oh, here, here's the one I was talking about. This comes from Marissa Maribel from IndieWire. Air is a slam dunk and ultimately one of the best sports movies ever made. Now, it's just one review. It's just one person's opinion. It's not going to, you know, sway, you know, make me, like, whatever. You know, but it still pretty cool to hear. Um, yeah, so, you know, I'm very, very excited for this film. Obviously, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are are dynamite together. They, I mean, we all know the story, Good Will Hunting, everything like that. Um, and I'm looking forward to this film. But on the topic of Ben Affleck, so we'll kind of move away from that. Just thought I would share some of the reviews for Air. Very much looking forward to it. That comes out in April, but I might be seeing it on the 29th of March, uh, which is three days from now. Um, what day is that actually? What are we today? Oh, okay, that's Wednesday. Looking forward to that. Um, yeah, Ben Affleck. So, in the promotion and, and, and the junkets and all that for air, uh, he was asked about DC, naturally. You know, obviously DC is going through a big transitional phase. James Gunn and Peter Safin are are doing a soft reboot. And James Gunn has tweeted several times that not only has he spoke to Ben Affleck, he has said Ben Affleck is interested and wants to be a part of our, quote, architectural team and, 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 and piecing this together and probably even directing a film. Uh, I actually have the, the tweet up here. Um, let me see. Where's it at? Okay, so this was one of the tweets that James Gunn put out about Ben Affleck a few months ago. And I'm, I'm reading this to provide context to what's next. So, quote, we're working, we're working with Ben Affleck who wants to be a part of our architecture team trying to bring things together. And he really wants to direct one of our projects and we're looking forward to him doing that. So now that you know that, right, you've heard that, you've read that, that sounds good, right? That sounds exciting. Ben Affleck is going to direct the film. Maybe he's going to direct The Brave and the Bold, right? Who knows? But then this is what Ben Affleck had to say when he was asked about being involved in DC and and uh, and their future plans, and more specifically directing. This is what he said, quote, I would not direct something for James Gunn's DC absolutely not. I have nothing against James Gunn. Nice guy. Sure. He's going to do a great job. I just didn't, I just wouldn't want to go in and direct in the way that they're doing that. I'm not interested in that. Wow. You couldn't have been any more candid, any more crystal clear than that. And I love that so many times we see actors, actresses, they're, they're asked questions about their potential involvement with a project and it's just always vague and I get it. You know, there's NDAs. They, they, they're sometimes they're, you know, there's legal consequences on, on the table if they, you know, share too much information. I get it, but still it's, it's nice to say, but I did not expect this response. Like it is so straightforward, but to the polar opposite of what a lot of us were led to believe due to what James Gunn said. This is so far from from that that I don't know how to feel about this. Like, is this bullshit, or is he telling the truth? Now, I mean, look, we could put on our tinfoil hats and say the fact that he is being so 
candid and so honest might just be this this crazy attempt to mislead us and maybe he is directing i mean you could point to andrew garfield and spider-man he did so many interviews where he was like look i haven't even got a call okay i am not returning i i wish them the best i'm a fan i can't wait to watch and then of course he ended up being in the film maybe this is that but i gotta tell you i'm not getting that impression with this you know ben affleck doesn't seem like the kind of person that would do that he seems like a straight shooter not that andrew garfield isn't uh, but he seems like somebody that is very earnest and very honest. Once again, not saying that Andrew Garfield is not. I'm sure he is. Uh, I just mean in terms of interviews and and, uh, and things of that nature. But this this kind of blew me away. Um, you know, on one hand, I believe Ben, just because of his history playing Batman and his involvement with DC, he's talked about. He talked about further on in that article how. You could create a whole seminar on how to not run a production and how to not make a film. And he was referring to, you know, his, his experience on Justice League and the reshoots with Joss Whedon and all that. And he talked about how that experience made him, you know, start drinking again and just very unhealthy. So knowing that, that makes sense that he wouldn't want to return to this world of comic books and and, and, and superheroes and stuff like that. Um, but then, like I said, on the other hand... You know, this is so far from what James Gunn said. Either since then, something happened behind closed doors that we don't know about. Or, like I talked about with Andrew Garfield, this could sort of be a similar situation to that. Uh, like, who knows? Maybe James Gunn was being honest. Maybe he had, maybe, maybe Ben Affleck was just bullshitting him and wasting his fucking time. But like I said, that doesn't seem like the kind of thing he would do. Then again, I don't even fucking know him. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Who knows? But... Maybe that interview went just as well as James Gunn said. Maybe Ben Affleck was, you know, enthusiastic. He was engaged. Maybe he was telling James, like, you know, I want to be a part of this. I want to direct this film, that film. I want to produce this, whatever. But then maybe something changed. Maybe Ben Affleck went home, sipped on a cup of tea, read something, thought of something different. Maybe, maybe he just, maybe he simply just changed his fucking mind. Who knows? Who knows? But some, there's got to be some kind of explanation because this is not this is not going to look good for James Gunn, right? There was a lot of discussion from fans. There was you know there's one guy that I watched named the Denon Nerds and Josh from the Denon Nerds. I like watching him, but he can you know sometimes be a little bit of an instigator. But he tweeted to James Gunn and said, "Hey, I've heard sources telling me that you don't like Henry Cavill." Uh, and then, of course, there was that infamous response from James Gunn, which I thought was legendary. He told him, you know, I also have sources that you're moving out of your mom's basement finally or something like that. <laughs> um, but then a few days later, we find out officially that he has he has, you know, essentially fired Henry Cavill because he wants to tell a different story with a younger Superman. So now with that, you know, I don't think that. James Gunn didn't 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 like uh Henry Cavill. I don't I don't think I don't think he didn't not like him. I I so maybe that kind of verbiage and language, maybe that was a little too clickbaity for Josh to say. But still, you know, several days later, Henry Cavill's gone as Superman. You know, once again, doesn't really look good for James Gunn, right? And for this to happen. For him to say many times on Twitter that, hey, we will, we love Ben, we want Ben to be a part of this, and Ben wants to be a part of this, and we're excited. 
just for Ben to say the complete opposite. That doesn't look good for James Gunn, you know? The thing that Kevin Feige doesn't get enough credit for is his ability to keep the fans wondering, keep the fans speculating. You don't ever see Kevin Feige hopping on Twitter responding to some fan about, you know, when are we going to see Kang next, for example, right? The only time you really see Kevin Feige talking about this stuff or answering questions is in junkets in promotion for another Marvel film. So if you do the math, we only really hear from him every four or five months. Whereas James Gunn, it seems like every day he's responding to somebody on Twitter. And you know, which is good because it's, 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 it makes him feel more accessible. It makes him feel more transparent. But I think that is starting to work against him because now I think he's starting to set himself up for, you know, for, for these internet trolls and people to kind of, you know, cave in on him. Um, because like I said, we don't know the full story. Maybe this meeting went just as well as James Gunn said, but then something else happened that we don't know about, but we don't know that other people don't know that. So to other people's, you know, impression, you could be lying, which I don't think James Gunn is. I'm just saying that that will be the narrative to some people. So this does not look good. Uh, I would probably lean towards saying, I believe Ben Affleck. I believe that he wants nothing to do with the DC or, or DCU, excuse me. So that's just my thoughts on the situation. Very interesting. Let me know what you guys think. Um, the final topic for today that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about Jordan Peele and he already has his next film slated for release. Can you believe that? All right. So let's get into this Jordan Peele news because uh, it is very, very surprising. Hold on. Let's shut the door. I was getting a little bit of echo there. Um, yeah, so obviously Jordan Peele had his film that came out last year. Nope. Which I really, really liked. I think it was a cool twist on the alien genre. A lot of parallels to Jaws, uh, obviously with the alien, it's, it's ocean itself that it kind of burrows in and, 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 and habitats and is the sky. I like that parallel to Jaws sort of the clouds is kind of where, where he was, where the, um, where the UFO was hiding and also the UFO itself, you know, there's been so many alien movies that have come out and typically when we inevitably reach the point in the film where we see the alien and we see what it looks like, sure, you know, some others have, have looked different. Like I'd say one of the biggest, uh, you know, um, or excuse me, one of the, one of the best alien movies that in, in terms of kind of reinventing the wheel and switching it up was Arrival. I liked I liked the twist that they had with with their aliens, so to speak. Um, but for the most part, a lot of alien movies are kind of, you know, paint by numbers when you see the alien and it's usually a figure with that cliche look that we you know we all know when we see an alien. I liked that the UFO was the alien. Like I don't think that itself has ever been done before. Once again drawing those parallels to Jaws. It's very much like a shark. It's just this big brooding creature that will take and eat anything in its path. And I love that. And I really, really like, nope, as, as a film itself, I like the characters, the story, uh, a lot of the themes, very, very interesting, very cool. One of my favorite films of last year. And I did not expect to see another Jordan Peele film for at least, you know, three, four years. 
But I guess, you know, I just I just read the other day that he has a five-year deal with Universal. Um, so I guess, you know, you uh um you know he's 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 he's, he's got to get to work. Five years is not very long, especially when you're making films, right? Two years minimum. So quick turnaround, and I'm not saying he's just making a film to reach quota to meet a to meet a uh, excuse me uh, to meet a deadline. Um, I I I I kind of I give him the benefit of the doubt in that regard. He's only made three movies, and they've all been, in my opinion, really really good. Uh, I really like Us. I think Us is a great film, and I think it's his, it's 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 my least favorite film of his. But I still think, compared to other films, it's it's awesome. It's great. So he's one of my favorite filmmakers. I talked about with uh, Quentin Tarantino that you know any film he's one of those directors in that director pool with like Martin Scorsese, Christopher Nolan, obviously Tarantino, Jordan Peele. Um, Robert Eggers, you know, these are directors that whatever they make, I will be there to see it no matter what, right? The hook might be stronger for certain films like the movie Critic because, you know, I'm a sucker for movies about, you know, the 70s in Hollywood, uh, but no matter what, I'll be there. So the same thing applies with this film and it's going to be coming out next year on Christmas Day. That is not far away at all, ladies and gentlemen, and apparently the script is written similar to the movie Critic, and they're going to be rolling cameras, I assume, this year. So that probably means that they already have the cast, they already have the crew, uh, and pre-production is probably well underway. Now, there's nothing publicly known about the details of this film, just that it's coming out on Christmas. So, you know, does that mean, oh, it's going to be a Christmas film? No, not necessarily. Christmas is just a great time to release films because i mean the box office is booming people are getting gift cards people are you know people want to go to the movies right i know i do every year on christmas i i mean i saw the whale last christmas <laughs> I, kind of a sad fucking movie to see on christmas day but i mean people go to the movies because like i said they get gift cards they get vouchers and so on so uh nothing is known about this i imagine it'll probably be a film that you know kind of leans in that suspenseful horror genre, thriller, psychological thriller, whatever you want to call it. Uh, who knows? Maybe he'll switch it up. Maybe, for all we know, maybe this is a fucking romantic comedy. Who knows? I doubt that. But And another interesting thing is that his production company, uh, Monkey Paw, is what, it, is what I think it's called. Uh, he has a film under his production company that is also releasing in the same year. Now, it's not directed by him, but like I said, it's under his, uh, what's uh, quote, monkey paw banner. Uh, and that's coming on September 27th, 2024. So just a couple months before that. So we got, I'm just going to call it two Jordan Peele films, right? We have one directed by him and then one that he is producing. So that's very exciting. So, and very, very close to each other. Now, one thing to note, right? Is that date, Christmas Day 2024. Now, why is that so important beyond just obviously the holiday? Well, you got Avatar 3 coming out just four day, four or five days before that. I think it comes out on like the uh, the 20th, I think. Now, we all know that film was going to dominate, right? At this point, if you're still doubting James Cameron, that I, I don't know what to say. You know, Avatar The Way of Water comes out 13 plus years, I think, after the original, and still makes, you know, it still cracks the top five highest, you know, highest grossing films of all time, so we all know that this third one is, is going to do well, (laughs) 
do you think do you think that this fourth Jordan Peele film do you think it's going to move release dates what do you guys think about that because I don't think it will because it's almost like sharing the wealth you know Christmas is such a such a big time of year for a lot of people that a lot of people are going to be going to the movies so there 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 there's a lot of there's a there, there's a lot of room you know cuz cuz there's going to be a lot of people so you know it's not like you know if avatar were 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 releasing in like let's say march for example you know of next year and then originally jordan peele's next film was also supposed to release around the same time then absolutely i would say move like jordan peele's film move cuz you know avatar's not going to move you know james cameron is is He's just gonna s- s- smoke a cigar, and 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 a studio exec's gonna you know say, hey, you know, can we can we move this? He's gonna say, go fuck yourself. I don't know if he's actually gonna say that. You know, I don't move my movie, right? So, Jordan Peele, I think having this date will actually still be. I think it could still prove to be very successful for him, even having all these other films. Because what's gonna happen is people will see Avatar three. But then they're going to say, oh, man, I had such a good time at the theater. I still have 50 bucks left on my gift card. You know, what else is out right now? Go to Cineplex.com, AMC, wherever you live. Oh, new Jordan Peele film. Let's go see that, right? I still got another week off work from holiday. Let's go see that. Oh, I loved it. Let's go see it again, right? So that's that's how it goes. So I think I think releasing near Avatar, uh, I, I think it'll be fun. And I think it can actually... I think it can actually work to its favor, so... Yeah, um, and, and once again, in terms of plot details, uh, there's there's pretty much nothing about the other film that's that, that Jordan Peele is producing that comes out on the 27th, although it is being described as uh, as a um, as a horror thriller. So that is official. So at the very least, we know that the film that Jordan Peele is producing that will be in the horror thriller genre, and I do imagine that. Um, his film he's directing will probably have elements of that. You know, he's such a unique filmmaker and such a great talent that I don't think we should just, you know, condense him down to like, oh, this that that's that's the genre, that's his niche, right? I think he's so talented that he doesn't really work in one genre or the other. It's it's very much like some of the other gifted filmmakers, you know. They're He'll have other little genres sprinkled in, right? There will be comedy. There will be some funny moments with, you know, between Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, for example. But then there obviously are dramatic tones. There are frightening scenes. Like, you know, the scene in, in I think probably the most terrified I was, maybe terrified, a little, maybe that's a little dramatic, but the most frightened I was, whatever, in Nope was that scene where Steven Young's character, he's putting on that show, trying to lure out the UFO to show everybody, but then the UFO goes totally south, the UFO sucks up everybody and, 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 and kills them all, but you see an inside perspective of all the people going up its like canal or whatever, and you just get this sense of claustrophobia, and I just could, I was so uncomfortable while watching that, uh, I was I was freaked out out of my fucking mind. So he has those moments in his films. So I don't think he's kind of pigeonholed to just one genre. I think he works with all these different genres and he condenses it in his films. Um, and of course he's he's 
we know he's capable of 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 comedy. He came, you know, he he rose up in comedy, obviously with Key and Peele and all that. So, yeah, um, that's pretty much gonna wrap up my thoughts. What do you guys think about all this? I know there was a lot of topics today. Uh, you know, let me know what your thoughts are. Tarantino's next film, Jordan Peele's next film, uh, Airs is right around the corner in in, in April. Um, we have the whole stuff with you know James Gunn and Ben Affleck. Uh, and then let me know what you guys think about Creed 3 and John Wick Chapter 4. Um, that'll be it, guys. I'll see you soon. I'll probably have another podcast up in about, you know, in about a week or so. And once again, it will most likely be audio only. Thank you for stopping by. I wish you good health, happiness, and everything in between. Have a great day.